God who is calling you to do certain things, He's going to supply the energy and He's going to multiply it because that's who He is. Welcome to Mothering from the Heart, a program that seeks to reach out and encourage women in the everyday moments of life. Your teacher is pastor's wife, mother, and grandmother, Audrey Brogy. We're in a series entitled Stories of Women, in which Audrey looks at the account of various women in both the Old and New Testaments. And today we look at a couple that undoubtedly many women can relate to, either one or the other. It is Mary and Martha. But before we proceed to think that one is better than the other, let's go ahead and join Audrey as she opens God's Word and fully flushes out what's happening to these sisters of Lazarus. Well, we're doing stories of women, and today we're doing the story of two sisters. And um, their names, you could guess, because there is a, a set of sisters in the Old Testament, which we will be studying them at a later time, but we're studying a set of sisters in the New Testament, which is Mary and Martha. I'm so excited about teaching this today because although I've um, referred to Mary and Martha and I, in, in the past, and I've had little um, sections when I've taught other things where I've, I've um, re- either referred to them or talked about them, today the whole message is geared and it's, and it's about them. They were from the town of Bethany, and they had a brother, and his name was Lazarus. And if you've heard of this family, what you've probably heard about the brother is that Jesus raised him from the dead, and you would be right. What you've probably heard about the sisters, and maybe what you might be most familiar with, is that what you might have heard is that Mary was a bothered, worried person, and that, excuse me, that Martha was a bothered, worried person, and that Mary was a peaceful, restful person. At least that's what you hear, maybe what you think you might know about them. And I would say if that is what you've heard, you would be somewhat right. And I think you'll see what I mean by the word somewhat right as we explore their story. And I should say stories because we see them several times in the New Testament as we explore their lives today, because there's a lot more to the lives of these two women, and there's so much more that we can learn from their stories. Now, I'm going to begin today, uh, and point one on your outline just says the first time. I'm going to begin today by reading the passage where we first meet them, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. But where you first meet them or where we first meet them is in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And by the way, just write the passage in that blank that you see on there. Um, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Okay, uh, verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Now, this particular event happens in the final months before the crucifixion. And to give the backstory, and before we study a little more in detail about this particular dinner with Jesus, it's important for us to understand what was happening in the ministry of Jesus before he arrives at Martha's home. Jesus had been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and John's gospel tells us that this is when, this is where, Jesus had preached that he is the living water, that he's the light of the world, that his word is truth, and that he was equal with God. In fact, I'm going to read some of this to you, and you might want to jot these passages down so you can look at them later and study them in more detail. John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, as I read this passage too, I want you to think about what if you were in that crowd? What if you were there in those days and you were hearing Jesus preach? These are the things that he said, and I hope that we would all be very attuned, very uh, alert and listening to his words. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time for him to be crucified yet, so nobody's mounting a, a thing against him. Verse 21, then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And, and he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They didn't realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. I love that particular part of this passage because he's got the opposition of those who are, 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 are opposing him. 
and all the things they're saying. But as he is speaking the truth, many came to believe in him. Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered and answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Because they don't like what he's saying to the ones who are who have believed. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does not, uh, the son does not remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Now, he has angered the Jews with his preaching, especially because, as John 8 continues, though they claimed Abraham as their father, Jesus told them that actually the devil was their father, and he called them liars. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. This is obviously a dig at Jesus because that's what they think about him. Verse 22, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now, this is the type of preaching he was doing. This is how he was confronting those who were in opposition to to him. He was not trying to be liked by everybody. And of course, within a short period of time, Bible scholars tell us probably a few weeks, Jesus and the disciples were going to Judea, and that's when they arrived in Bethany. And it was probably in the month of October, So let's go back to the story in Luke chapter 10, and let's read it again, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So here we find Jesus entering the home of Martha. And the first thing that we're told about this woman is that she welcomed him into her home. You might want to just write that down. You might want to start making a little bit of a list of what we see about Martha. She welcomed him. It's very significant that she welcomed him. She was glad to have him. She received him. She wanted him there. It's a beautiful picture of a character quality. And this alone, this part of Martha reminds me of the Shunammite woman. Remember when we studied her last year, 2 Kings chapter 4? 
Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem when, uh, where there was a prominent woman and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. And so here's a New Testament kind of picture of the same type of thing. When Jesus came to Bethany, he could turn into Martha's home and she would welcome him. She was ready for him and she loved having him there. Now the passage continues, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. So Mary's there. And the next picture that we are given, which doesn't have a whole lot of detail in these verses, but the next picture we're given in this story is that Mary is listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. So we know that since she's welcoming into her home, there had to be some welcome time. Hi, Jesus. How are you? We're so glad you're here or whatever. We're not told that, but we can imagine that because the next picture we get is that, you know how you do when you have people over, you welcome them into your home and then you say, have a seat or go in here or you have hors d'oeuvres or whatever it is that you, that you do and whatever it is that they did was the, as it was their custom. But we're see, the next picture we get is that after Martha had welcomed Jesus, she probably did lead him to sit, rest, relax, while she finished the, getting the meal ready. Like I said, what we do when we have guests. And Mary, of course, we have the picture of her. Decide, she obviously decided to sit with Jesus and listen to him rather than help her sister. The two sisters did two entirely different things. The passage continues, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I mean, there's a lot in, the, in this verse. After the good thing that Martha did, welcoming into her home, then the, the next things that she does are not good. And if you wanted to make a list, you could, you could put number one, she rebukes Jesus. Well, these are the things I wrote. Number two, she questions his care of her. You know, do you not care? I mean, do you not care? Uh, number three, she complains about her sister, complains about the other woman. And then, of course, the final thing that she does in this particular verse is that she bosses Jesus around. Tell her to help me. So when Martha comes to Jesus, after she's done the good thing, welcoming him into her home, she rebukes both him, and in her rebuking of him, she's rebuking Mary. And can you imagine, I mean, every time I read this, every time I read this so familiar passage, first I think, can I imagine rebuking God to his face? Yes, that's exactly sometimes what I do. And that's what she did. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Those could be my exact words at different times in my life. Dear Father, do you not care that, you have, that everyone has left me to do this alone? My husband doesn't care. My kids don't care. I've got all this work to do. And then she even proceeds to tell him what to do, tell her to help me. Tell them to help me. 
So she rebukes him, she questions his care of her, and then she complains about Mary. So it's not just about what she has to do. She's looking around to see what somebody else is doing, and that's her sister. Or I should say what her sister is not doing. And I'm sure, just like me, all of us, we're all women, we can all relate to Martha in this moment. I mean, even to the point where we, like, feel compassion for her. (laughs) She's rebuking him. She's questioning his care, which is what we do. We rebuke the Lord. We question his care. We complain about our sisters, and we even boss God around. So what does Jesus do? How does he respond? Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary— For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, those words must have stung the heart of Martha because not only is Jesus rebuking her, but he's also pointing out what Mary did and that it was a good thing. Commending Mary, her sister, the one that she's complained about while he's rebuking her. So not enough just that he's rebuking her but then he has to say something good about the very one that she was saying something bad about. Jesus, in his kind yet very firm way, does exactly the opposite of what Martha wanted him to do. Commends again her sister and rebukes her. I just want to read it again. He says, Martha, Martha. I mean, he loves Martha. We're going to learn this, how much he loves her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, women are women. And no matter our personality type, because often, so often, this passage, in my opinion, sad to say, is reduced to talking about personality types. And that's not what this is about. Because think about it, no matter what your personality type is, no matter what it is, whether you're type A, type B, whether you're, you're uh, sanguine or, or melancholy or whatever it is, every single one of us become fretful. Every single one of us, given the right set of circumstances, become distracted. Or maybe we live in distraction, even if we seem calm and peaceful. We get worried. We get bothered. I mean, maybe... I, You know, Bible scholars say different things sometimes. I've read different things about this passage. Some say maybe she just over-prepared the meal. And I guess there's something we could learn from that, you know, keep it simple, sweetheart. I mean, seriously, there's so many things we can learn from looking at these things because sometimes maybe some of us do over-prepare and really only one thing is necessary, a simple meal that has all the food groups, you know, simple conversation. We don't have to have a million frou-frou things. Those can be nice. I'm not saying they don't serve their place sometimes, but sometimes, so let's just, we can just take a little, little um, application in that sense. Simplicity. We as women sometimes think more is better. I don't know that that's necessarily what the point Jesus was trying to make to Martha. But I want us to understand that we all have Martha moments. Again, doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. 
And all of us have merry moments. The question becomes, what do I want to characterize me? Because God created each of us with our unique individual personalities. One's not better than another. It's only as we grow in Christ and we take our personality and put it under His, uh, the power of His Holy Spirit that we see the beauty of all the personalities the way God wants them to be. So what characterizes me, no matter what my personality is like? And again, this passage is about a moment in time. This is one event, one time in the lives of Mary and Martha. And in this particular time, Mary made the right choice and Martha was distracted. And it's in this incident that Jesus is very clear about who's chosen the good part, and that's Mary. And by implication, he's very clear about who has not chosen the good part, and that is Martha. Now, why did Jesus commend Mary and rebuke Martha in this incident? Well, the answer's right here in the passage. Jesus tells us, and he says, because Mary made the right choice. She could have been worried and bothered just like Martha in this situation. It might not have been the preparations. It might have been something that she's dealing with on the inside. It could be something that's occupying her mental thoughts. But in this moment, she chose to listen to the Lord's word. She knew in this moment what was really important. Now, looking at this passage too, I feel like we need to explore a little bit and to understand that, uh, that this, as Jesus has rebuked Martha and as he's commended Mary, this doesn't mean that feeding people and serving people are not important. In fact, we know from all of Scripture that humble service is very important. In fact, what Martha was trying to accomplish was an important thing. It's the kind of service what Martha was doing, her doing, is exactly how God characterizes godly older women. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, there's a list there. When, he, when he's talking about older women and what their character qualities should be like, they should have a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, she's shown hospitality to strangers. If she's washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So here's the deal. The problem in this incident with Martha was not what she was doing. What she was doing was a good thing. Jesus didn't rebuke the service. He rebuked her worry. He rebuked her distraction. So the problem was in how she was doing it. Now let's think, you know, application-wise a little bit. You ever serve the children in our nursery with a nasty disposition on the inside, of course? (laughs) Or done the laundry at home as Miss Grumpy? You may as well just wear a sign that says, Mama, call me Miss Grumpy today, and you better not get in my way. You're doing the right thing. You should be doing the laundry, yes. The right thing, serving the children in the nursery or whatever it is. But there's a difference in doing the right thing and having the right heart in the doing. Done, and you could list a thousand things there. Done exactly what you know God wants you to do in terms of your doing. But you're mad that no one else is doing it or at least in your perception, no one else is doing it. And you've judged others' service 
and what they're doing simply because it's different from yours and really, more importantly, because you have a bad attitude. We all have different gifts. We all do different things. We all serve the body in different ways. (laughs) I mean, have you ever made a meal for people with resentment? And just an attitude like, well, somebody's got to do it. The roll of the eyes, yeah. It's like 1 Corinthians 9, 7. I love this passage. Verse 7 says, you can write the reference it down, look it up if you want. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the context of this particular passage is giving monetarily, tangibly, in the giving of gifts. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about the need for this. And then he continues as he encourages them in their giving, verse 8. He says, and, and just listen to what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. I mean, look at all the superlatives in this passage. All grace, always having all sufficiency in everything. And then he continues with the superlatives. You may have an abundance. And then he says an abundance for what? For yourself to hoard? No, for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So you know how... Sometimes we worry that if we give, whether it's tangibly, monetarily, of our goods, or whatever it is, whether we give in any way, we worry sometimes whether, we, you know, whether we're going to have enough for ourselves. We think we're going to have less because we give away these things. That could be in the energy realm. You know, just just the energy it takes to do things for people. I'm, I'm going to be so tired. I'm not going to have any energy left. But if we're doing what God wants us to do, now I understand that all of us can fill our lives with all kinds of stuff that God doesn't want us to do, that zaps our strength in all the wrong ways. I'm talking about what God wants us to do. We think that we're going to have less because we gave it away. We gave away our time. We served. We did whatever it is. But the encouragement here in this passage is that when we give When God wants us to give and what he wants us to give, he will provide everything we need and in an abundance, superlatives here, because that's who he is. That's his nature. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, don't you love this? He's the one who supplies the seed. He's the one who gives it. He's the one who supplies the bread. And don't you think that he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness? I mean, that's what he's saying. The God who is calling you to do certain things, he's going to supply the energy and he's going to multiply it because that's who he is. You will be enriched. Here it is again, more superlatives. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means being generous, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And then it has even just this great result. People are going to thank God because of it. 
If God calls us to anything that requires sacrifice on our part, He not only will meet our needs, but He'll reward our commitment. We're reminded over and over, just as in the letter to the Philippians, that God will supply all we need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. To listen again to this message on Mary and Martha in its entirety, why not download the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit the Search the Scriptures website at searchthescriptures.org and look up program WOM134. You are also welcome to visit Audrey's website, audreybrogy.com, to listen to some of her other messages and to read her personal blog entries. Next Friday, we'll continue our look at Mary and Martha, part of our series entitled Stories of Women. Join us then. In the meantime, remember to always think biblically and mother from the heart.